Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Who doesn't? Who isn't scoring well? 
And at that point, who's going to score? Because we know that R.J. Barrett just can't be counted on. We know. R.J. Barrett can't be counted on. So what's going to happen when Julius Randle has that game where he's 6 for 25, right, and he gets in foul trouble? What's going to happen? The Knicks are going to lose. That's why I think this series, six games, seven, it's either going six or seven games, but it's going to come down to R.J. Barrett once again not being counted on because the, the, the thing with R.J. Barrett is really simple. R.J. Barrett can score. R.J. Barrett can't shoot. Okay? So I don't care what you say about, oh, he can do that. I don't care. R.J. Barrett can't shoot. And at some point in time, they're going to need him to make a shot. They're going to need him to make a shot. And he's not going to make the shot. And they're going to lose. So, and I'm a Knicks fan. I just have no use for R.J. Barrett. I've never had any use for R.J. Barrett. And full disclosure, it's because I hate his father. Okay? I can't stand his father. He looks just like his father. Yeah, like, I don't like him. So that may be a little bit of my bias coming out with R.J. Barrett because I can't stand his dad. I have issues with his father. Personal issues, professional issues, you name it. Um, I got issues with his dad. So uh, <laughs> it is what it is, man. <laughs> Now we got in the Western Conference, we got the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. We got the Nuggets leading two zip. That's not surprising to me at all. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't expect the Timberwolves. I don't expect the Timberwolves to get a game in this series. To be quite honest with you, I don't expect them to get a game. Um, what I see is not what other people see. I see what Anthony Edwards. If you look at his numbers at the end of the game. His numbers look good, but Anthony Edwards isn't playing well in the playoffs. He has yet to play well in the playoffs, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care what – you see, you can, you can end up with the numbers that make it look like you had a good game, but it doesn't mean you had a good game. You know, if, you, if you're shooting seven for 25, right, yeah, you wound up with 19 points, you get, let's say, seven for 25, you got 19 points, Eight rebounds, four assists. That sounds like a good game. When and, and again, you go back, you go with seven for twenty-five. Not a good shooting percentage. You didn't, you didn't make a lot of free throws. There's just a lot of things that go into a stat line, and a lot of those things can't be seen. How many how many turnovers did you have? How much did they score against you when you were missing shots? All of those things play into play into it. When you did a guy have a good game or a bad game? So I'm not surprised. I think the Nuggets are going to roll the Wolves. I think there's going to be a five-game sweep. And the Wolves never heard that term before. A five-game sweep means that, yeah, you won one game, but the series wasn't even close. That's a five-game sweep where basically it's like, eh, you can have one. You know, we'll give you one to be nice. Now, Lakers-Grizzlies, this series should not. The Grizzlies – should be able to beat these Lakers. They really should. But he's going to go seven games, and I think the Lakers are going to win. I think the Lakers are going to win. Because for some, this Grizzlies team right now, they're just not mature enough. They're just not mature enough. They're not. They're just not mature enough. Because when you have Dylan Brooks, LeBron's older, listen, man, you've done nothing. Shut up. Stop talking. Stop talking 
and do something other than run your mouth. Because the reality is you won that, that you won game two because the Lakers missed open shots. It wasn't your defense. It wasn't anything you did. It was the fact that they missed open shots. The Lakers have shooters now. They have guys who can actually shoot. And see, every time will score, score, score. There is a difference between being a shooter and being a scorer. Being a scorer means, yes, you're going to put up some points, but you're doing it basically in high volume. Okay? You need a lot of shots to score. Whereas a shooter, shoot or shoot. You're going to make the majority of your shots. You may not take as many shots, but you're going to make the majority of them. The Lakers have a lot of shooters. Okay? That means that they're going to have a night where they miss some shots, but the majority of the time they're going to make their shots. You won by 10 because the Lakers missed a lot of open looks. Okay? That's not going to happen. In a seven-game series, five games, there's going to be five games where the Lakers make their shots. going to be two games where they don't. There you go. So we'll give this seven games. The Lakers will win four to – Lakers are going six or seven games, but the Lakers are winning this series. They're winning this series because, again, the, the, the Grizzlies are immature. And they're not ready yet. You know, sometimes if you haven't done anything yet, talking is fine to a point. But they shut up and get it done. I've been listening to Dylan Brooks talk for two seasons and ain't done nothing. You haven't advanced. You haven't gotten anywhere. You haven't got to a conference final. Sue, you haven't even won your own conference. Okay? Win something before you run your mouth. I'm just saying. Now, the Kings and the Warriors, I personally thought the disrespect that everybody was giving the Kings was going to come back to bite them, and it is. The Sacramento just because it's the Sacramento Kings, the old Kings, they, they haven't won anything in 17 years. The players in the Sacramento Kings have not been there for 17 years. They don't care about the history of the Sacramento Kings. They don't care about the history of futility. All they know is they were the third best team in the Western Conference this season. For a large portion of the season, they were the number one team in the Western Conference. And they are better than the Golden State Warriors. Period. End of story. The Golden State Warriors suck on the road. The Kings have home court advantage. So let's say the Warriors win every game at home and lose every game on the road. That means they lose in seven games. That means they lose in seven games. So no matter how you slice this, the Kings are going to win this series. And all the disrespect and all the people, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, Running around for, well, it's just Sacramento. Okay. See, because when you say it's just Sacramento, that tells me that you haven't watched any games this season, especially tells me you've never watched the Kings. Because this ain't same old Sacramento. This is a team full of Tyrese Halliburton, DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, uh, this is a team full of cats who were, went unwanted, who people have been disrespecting. They don't give any credit for anything. So, hey. Um, sleep on the Kings if you want And we got our co-host Mike Who just joined us Go ahead Mike, what's going on man? What's up man, what, you talking about uh, People can sleep on the Kings if they want to But yep. at their own peril Yep 
Yeah, man, this team is good. And, you know, listening to Mike Brown yesterday, he's always been kind of one that hangs his hat on defense. But he's like, I got a team that can score. And we talked about them last night on the Carlos, on the Carlos Cookout, man. This team can score with anybody. If they play any defense at all, they're going to be a problem. Yeah, and, and Ward scored 123 the first game. Okay, 106 the second game. Hmm. If they can keep what – is, what am I doing here? What's, what's going on? Hold on a second. So Chandler says, hold on, I'm going to kind of talk until we get him back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I started playing on my laptop, and I have no idea where it was coming from. (laughs) Oh, I got you. Okay, so you said 106, and then go ahead. Yeah, and and if you look at it, they're probably going to hold the Warriors to around, I'd say, 115 points, right? The Warriors can't – Yeah, they should. The Warriors can't hold anybody under 120. So if if we just go one fifteen to one uh, one twenty to one fifteen every game, Kings win. And now you don't have you don't have Draymond in uh, in game three. Chandler, mm-hmm. uh, this was this was talk, bantered about in the kitchen last night, and there were some uh, controversial takes. I'll share with you mine afterwards. But I would like to hear your opinion on this one game suspension for Draymond Green. I, th- I thought he was going to get suspended the minute that I heard about it. The minute I heard about it, I thought he was getting suspended. Because you have a rap sheet as long as 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 long as McKim- Dikembe Mutombo's arms, okay? And Dikembe Mutombo had 12-foot arms. I swear to God, his arms were 12 feet long, all right? Why wouldn't you get suspended? One, you stomped on the man's chest, Okay. Then you spent the next five minutes acting a damn fool. The commissioner of your sport was sitting courtside. After the game, you said, I don't care about no money. They take all the money they want. So even if they were thinking about just finding you, you said, I don't care what if you find me. I'm still going to do what I want to do. Now, you're a parent. You get ready to punish your kid, right? You don't want to ground him. Instead, you're going to say, take, um, or you're going to give him some extra chores. And he says, you know, damn about no chores. You give me all the chores you want. Are you just going to add the chores or are you going to go next level? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hit him where it hurts. I'm going to hit him where it's something that's going to be significant. Exactly. So I'm not surprised at all. Draymond. Once again, Draymond put himself before the team and stopped telling me, oh, but that's who he is. He is a very intelligent young man. I say young because I'm twice his age. Okay, damn near. Um, So he's still a young man to me. He knows what he's doing. These things are calculated when he does these things. And sometimes he gets to the point where he thinks he's more important than anybody else on that roster. Well, you about to find out, son. You about to find out. But the thing is, if you're more important than anybody, and this is the part that gets me, because if you're more important than a lot of other pieces on that roster, if you're the defensive heartbeat, if you're a catalyst, 
if you're the person that kind of, kind of facilitated the offense so these shooters can shoot, and you really think that much of yourself, then you would think if you care about the results of your team, you would think that you would do whatever is necessary to make sure you can keep it behind on the floor. You would think that, but see, that's where he gets into the, they won't suspend me. I'm Draymond Green. Bro, your name ain't Michael Jordan. Your name ain't Magic Johnson. Okay? You are not that damn important to the game of basketball. He thinks he is. He thinks he's on that level. Like, there are some players, there's uh, probably two players in the game right now who could do what he did and not get suspended. That's probably, that, that would be LeBron. Hmm. Maybe Jason Tatum. About the only two I could think of. I I have another I have another question for you on another mm-hmm. series. And do you think it was irresponsible of Tom Thibodeau to have all of his stars and starters on the floor in the latter stages of the fourth quarter to blow out game in game two? Yes. But I have been criticizing Tom Thibodeau since the day he became Knicks coach. I didn't want Tom Thibodeau as the coach. I never wanted Tom Thibodeau because he refuses to adjust. He refuses to adjust. He refuses to adjust. He is the reason Derrick Rose is a broken-down version of Derrick Rose we see now. He's the reason. You're winning by how much were they winning by? Double digits, right? And he said, right, yep. well, I was going to take him out, but he didn't want to come out. I'm sorry, who's the coach? You or him? But, see, that's just a way for him to excuse the fact that he refuses to not play certain players 85 minutes a game. There's a reason that Cam Reddish went to Portland and started balling because Tom Thibodeau decided that Cam Reddish didn't play enough defense for him. And no matter what else Cam Reddish did, it wasn't going to be good enough. There's a reason that Mitchell Robinson is constantly complaining about his role. There's a reason that the Knicks were only the fifth seed. Counts to be a third seed. That's on the coach. It's on the coach. All right, so I got some more questions for you. We have... Oh, real quick before we move on. Um, once again, they have not won a game. They're down 0-2. But a guy that we've been uh, talking about, you and I especially, in this space over the last couple months, um, on a national stage, uh, Mikel Bridges is starting to kind of have a coming out party with his performance with the Nets. And he looks like a guy – you know, a good piece for the Nets to continue to build around with the other young talent that they have. We talked about the future being bright for this Brooklyn team. I still agree with yeah. that. Have you seen Have you seen Bridges play any of the postseason? Have you watched any of those games? No, I haven't been watched. Honestly, I haven't watched anything. I've been sick. Um, so I really haven't gotten a chance to watch a whole lot. Like the past three days, I've been in the hospital since Sunday. So um, I haven't watched anything, honestly. Just, you know, I caught, talk to the nurses and whatnot. They'll give you updates, but it's been a lot of sleeping and getting woke up every hour for for the people to stick you with needles. But I I didn't expect the Nets 
to win. I didn't expect the Nets to win a game in the series, honestly. Um, because the Sixers are just better. Let's be honest, the Sixers are just better. They're just a better team than the Nets are. The Nets need one the Nets need with the with the group they have now, they really only need one sort of transcendent flair. A one hardened level MB level guy. They only need one with this group. So keep the group and then go get that guy. And then I think the Nets could probably beat the Sixers. Um, because if you look at game two, 96 to 84, Nets played a hell of a lot more defense, right? And beat was just better mm-hmm. than anything that you can't stop him. I like Nick Net- Claxton. <clears throat> Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton is not – the Nets don't have a guy who can basically – you say, well, this guy and Embiid, that's a wash, right? The Nets don't have that guy. And if Harden gives them anything, then the Sixers are going to win. But even if the Nets get swept, which I think they will, I think this has been a highly successful season. And I think, again, if you just add one guy without subtracting any of the pieces you have, I can see the Nets being a challenger for the, for the Eastern Conference for a long time. The Nets are up. 80 to 76 with 13 seconds to go in the third quarter tonight. So, once again, they're competing well. Mm-hmm. It's serious. Okay, so let's look around yeah. the league for a second. Uh, we have eight series, right? Eight first-round series. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> looking around, some competitive games, a few surprises, a few not so many, so much for me. Uh, but, you know, I look and I see – uh, Denver up 2-0, and I mm-hmm. see I see Sacramento up 2-0. Right, the other uh, the other two series are split one and one. And then looking in the in the Eastern Conference, you got Boston up 2-0 and Philly up 2-0. The other two series are split one and one. So we have mm-hmm. the Lakers getting one in Memphis. That one split. We have the Clippers getting one in Phoenix. That one's split. No Kawhi for game three, by the way. Um, so out of these four series that are even, Clips, Lakers, Heat, and Knicks. Out of these four series, which team – of the road teams, of the team that doesn't have home court, but, I mean, I guess technically it's home court now since they got one of the roads. Which one of these four do you think is most likely to be able to uh, keep this home court advantage and win this series? I want you to rank these four. Like, which, which road team is most likely to pull the series out? The lower seed team. I would say, I would say Knicks. Okay, most Knicks and then, then Lakers. Knicks, then Lakers. Okay. Uh, wait a minute. Who else is tied for one one? Give me a second. Um, then Clippers. Then Heat. Yeah. Well, I, I, the Heat's the long and, show, right? Well, because because they can't score. Right. Yeah. And then you now you don't have Hero, who's one of your best, uh, and maybe your best uh, long range shooter. So now you don't have him either, right? So well, and, and Duncan Robinson. I don't know what happened to Duncan Robinson. I don't know. Listen, Duncan Robinson has as pure a shot as, as anybody in the game, and this dude can't even get on the court now. 
Maybe yeah, he went to him, maybe he went to Krispy Kreme instead of the donut place. And I don't know. Maybe. maybe he did, man. This dude, have you seen him play? He looks lost. He yeah, looks lost. I, yeah, it reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Steve Sachs, and and some of that was because of personal stuff going on in his life too. But it reminds mm-hmm. me of the, of the trouble Steve Sachs had at second base. I read a funny thing about this too. If you remember in the mid, like, 87, 88, around that time, the mm-hmm. Dodgers had Steve Sachs, who was going through some troubles, and he, he ended up getting it back together, but he was going through some troubles and couldn't throw, it, throw the ball from second base. He kind of had the yips like Knobloch did, but he got over it, right? But then right. They, also had, they also had Pedro Guerrero playing third base, which was a catastrophe as well. And so I read yeah. a thing, and the, and the story goes, the story goes, Tommy Lasorda was talking to the uh, Pedro Guerrero in the dugout after a, one particularly tough game. And he said, Pedro, what are you thinking out there with some of those plays that you're making? He said, well, well, Skip, Skip, I'm thinking two things. And he goes, okay, what's the first thing? I'm thinking, please, God, don't let him do it to me. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> and then he said, okay, what's the other thing? I'm thinking, please, God, don't let him hit it to Steve Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wow. I read that this week. That was, that was pretty funny. Uh, so, you yeah. know, I, I go back and forth on this. Um, I, I go back and forth between the Knicks and the Lakers as far as who's most likely. I'm not surprised the Lakers got one in Memphis. Uh, now, of course, they had the scare with Anthony Davis uh, at the end of the first half where he goes out, he comes back. But he really didn't really show up yesterday. So, um, But they got one. They had to get one in Memphis, and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing is I was surprised to see that the New York Knicks actually have a better road record than home record this year. It's only yes, one game different. They, they actually have a better road record than home record. So um, I think we're going to be able to tell a lot in these next couple games. Uh, you know, the Heat really came back, uh, really got knocked back down to earth or got cooled off, I guess, uh, up in the northern region of the United States. I mean, you look at. I don't remember. I don't know what the actual final was. I don't remember, but I know that they were up as much as thirty for a good chunk of that game without Giannis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, especially if they get Giannis back, which it sounds like it's just a deep bruise and he should be okay um, by the next round. But listen, I I still think there are some things that can happen. People that can go down, whatever else, but. All things created equal, I still think Milwaukee's the class of the East. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be. A t- yeah. I think it's going to be a tough team to handle. I agree. I, listen, I don't think that. Uh, why is everything the twenty sixth? I don't. What is going on here? What's going on here? This is going. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm doing a couple of things. I'm. 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 I'm closing on Monday, so I'm starting to try to get order stuff that we need for the new house. There's just a lot going on. Um. I you were talking about Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Yeah, I think Listen, they're the class I, of the East. Yes, 
I agree. I, I don't think that the only team, honestly, defensively that can really give them issues is Miami. The team that's going to give them issues offensively is Boston. So it comes down to – And Boston to, has to play out of their mind for multiple games. They got, they, got to, they got to hit a really hot streak and be consistent and move the ball. They, they, can't, they can't half-step any of those games to really beat them. They're going to have to play their best games of the season to beat these guys. But we've seen Boston do that in the seven-game series against Milwaukee. We've seen Boston do that. You know, uh, we've seen Boston yeah. go go to Milwaukee in a game six and win. Mm-hmm. So they have the confidence that we don't care that you have Giannis. We got Brown and Tatum. So Giannis going to get 50, he's going to get 45, and he's going to get 40. 85 <clears throat> beats 50. And th- that to me, that's why Chris Middleton is a huge piece for me, for uh, for Milwaukee. Can can he find his range and kind of settle in? And then you know the complimentary pieces that Milwaukee has, you know Drew Holiday and and Bobby Portis and Brooklyn. You know the complimentary pieces. Uh, it's going to have to be. You know they're going to have to get contributions across the board. This is a deep team. I I do think that Boston can beat them. I don't know that they will, but I think Boston definitely can. I think, I think Boston's more likely to knock off Milwaukee in a seven-game series than Philadelphia, for sure. You think that who is? I think Boston is much more likely to knock off Milwaukee in a seven-game series than, the, than uh, Philly would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that – um. I like that 23rd, 22nd, okay. I, I totally agree with that. I think that both of those, both of those things are true, that you could, why am I doing that? Um, yeah, I agree with both of those. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to me to see. I, I'm I'm very excited it looks like, you know, they're both up 2-0. I'm really excited to see a Philly-Boston uh, second-round series because I think Philly has some components to that team uh, that can challenge Boston. Um, but mm-hmm. we know we know what Doc Rivers' uh, sort of resume is in the, in the playoffs minus a season or two. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm not saying that uh, I'm, I'm – picking the 76ers to upset the Celtics in the playoffs, but I, I just think mm-hmm. it could be an interesting series with some fun matchups in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Boston so, don't yeah. have anybody that can handle Embiid. No, well, I disagree. I think that um, if he can get on the court, which is a really big if, Robert Williams <laughs> can defend Joel Embiid. He has defended him. Problem is, he's never on the court. Al Horford in spurts can still can still play high level. Listen, Al Horford, honestly, was, was a better defender than he ever was an offensive player. Now, Al Horford is old now. We got that. So that means that he's not going to do it for a full 48 minutes. But Al Horford has always given Joel Embiid problems because he can move his feet, and, and, and Al Horford's not a small dude. You know, Al Horford's a good 260, 270. 
And now, granted, Embiid is like 300, but Al Horford is strong as an ox. He knows how to use leverage. He's undersized, which means he's been playing big, against bigger guys most of his career. So he's used to the bumping and he's used to the bumping and grinding. I think between those two, they can control Embiid. They're not going to limit him. They're not going to stop him. But if you can keep Joel Embiid to say 28 to 30 points a game, you can beat the Sixers. It's when he gets into 35, 40 ranges where you're not winning the game. But if you can keep him to 28 to 30 points a game, which is a lot, but let's be honest, when Harden isn't showing up, right, and nobody else is scoring, that 28 to 30 ain't that big a deal. No, and and the thing you got to worry, you know, if he's not doing it consistently, um, but if on a game where Harden doesn't show up, if you can get the caliber of game – that you just got from Maxi, you know that's mm-hmm. another guy that I still think, I still think his potential is there, and he's starting to show his flashes. But he's still a young guard, right? Like, yeah. And I think he's still kind of, uh, kind of finding his way in the league. But I, I do like Therese Maxi as a player. Uh, there's a lot to like about the player. Um, but you know that, you know, the interesting thing to me about Embiid is. As dominant as he can be inside. Now he's got, he's got all the skills, right? Like he's he's a very very skilled big man. Uh, he can pass. Mm-hmm. He can shoot at something from range. Got a mid range shot, but he's a big dude. If he gets down on the block and nobody's stopping him, unless they bump up against his knee or something, he falls. But so to me, the the thing to watch to me with Joel Embiid is. If he has a game where his jumper is not falling, uh, can he go? Will he go inside a few times and eat and get some buckets to kind of keep his team in a game or stop some momentum, or is he going to? We've seen him in past series. I, a couple years ago, I feel like he pretty much shot them out of the series against the Hawks. Uh, last year, right. I thought he kind of did the same thing. Is he going to fall into that trap? And, and I know the expression, shooters keep shooting. I get it. But if you're seven foot, 300 pounds with that, you know, nimble feet like that and the ability to make post moves as well, then if you're that big a man with all those skills as a shooter, then, okay, if you want to keep shooting, fine. But go inside, make a couple post moves, and see the ball go in the basket, and then start to move away again if you want to. You know, like one of the things that I always had coaches tell tell us is if you're struggling at times, even if it's a free throw, sometimes you know knocking down a free throw, or sometimes a layup or two. Just I don't know. It's like the whole psyche of seeing the basketball go through the hoop. A lot of times it. Uh, it helps you kind of reset your brain and, uh, and and find that rhythm again. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. And so can he do that instead of just shooting his team out of a series? That That's a right. that's something I want to see with Embiid um, in these playoffs. But I'm excited to see a Philly-Boston matchup. Oh. They're halfway there uh, to making that happen, and we'll dig into that <clears throat> even more. <laughs> you know, we we talked about Memphis 
multiple times, right? Uh, with this Morant yeah. thing and, and all this going on. What are your thoughts about uh, Dylan Brooks and his uh, and his trash talk after the after the game last night after they pulled off game two? I think Dylan Brooks needs to shut the hell up. I was saying this uh, before you got on. The reason that the Grizzlies are going to lose their series is because they're still immature as hell. You have not made a conference final. You have not won your own conference. You haven't won your own division. You've done nothing but talk. You've done nothing. And let's be honest. The Lakers have shooters now. They missed open shots. See, one of the things about being stuck in the hospital, when you can get your phone and you, you can look at stuff and you can look at people's box scores, you can't really do a whole lot because the Internet in hospitals sucks, so you're going off you know, your own data plan. And, you know, trying to watch video miss me with that, but I, watch, I look at the box scores. Look at some of the shooting percentages from that game from the Lakers guys who normally shoot really well. They missed a lot of shots. A lot of shots. Not because of your defense, by the way. Not because of your defense. But they miss shots they normally make. It happens. If that's what you're counting on, Dylan Brooks, you're going to be home in three more games. Because the other I thing, think that's the only game Memphis gets. The other thing that got me, to me, this is a golden opportunity for the Lakers. I, I think they needed to go into Memphis and get one. They did in game one to kind of start to set the tone in that series. <clears throat> the the other thing that you don't necessarily pick up from the box score uh, that I will tell you is uh, in the first quarter at least, first quarter and a half, two quarters, the Lakers played very sloppy defense. And that's they have some shooters now, but the other thing is the Lakers have really improved in the second half of the season since that trade, since those trades. Um, the Lakers have really improved on the defense of it. Uh, and, and they did not play very good defense early on in that game. They gave Memphis a lot of cheapies and a lot of, uh, a lot of easy looks. And so that's, uh, Okay. So that's, you're something right, they that, did. that's something that that's something they need to tighten up on uh, coming into Game Three is is you know turning up that defense uh, from from the beginning because they gave them a lot of looks and listen I, I go back to with Memphis right now you are patting yourselves on the back or really smelling yourselves because what. You played Golden State fairly close in the second round last year. Yes, and, you, and that's the whole and you thing. Were able to, <laughs> yeah, you were able to win one game without Ja in that series, but you haven't, like you said, you haven't even made a conference finals yet. Now you're gonna say, "I don't care about him; he's old," and 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 completely be that disrespectful. Memphis is, uh, you know, this is what they do. They talk a lot of trash, and you know, they they say they can back it up. So we'll see. But they haven't yet. They ain't backed up anything yet. If they get a game in L.A. 
they can get back to Memphis 2-2. Um, I think they got a good chance to win the series. But if they don't get more than that, they go back to Memphis. If they go back, they're not winning a game in trouble. Yeah, they're not winning a game in trouble. No, no. The most this is going is six games. That's it. Most this is going is six games. They're gonna lose both games in L.A. One of them's gonna be close. One of them won't be. So and, yeah, and six the, games for for their sake. For them to be able to get game five, you, you're, for them, you hope you get the, the one that's not close out of the way in game three. If they can make it close in game four, maybe they take some of that momentum into five. If the Lakers win a close game three and then they're able to dog walk them in game four, mm-hmm. I, would not, I would not discount the possibility of them going back cross-country to FedEx for them. And taking care of business in game in game five, and you better because here's the interesting thing: Sacramento's already up two zero on Golden State. Right. Game Game three is without Draymond Green. Don't mess around Mm -hmm. Golden State and let Sacramento win Game three because you might get Game four. But as bad as Golden State has been on the road, that game ain't going more than five. They're going to be lighting the beam right. again, and that game ain't going more than five. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's see. Yeah, it's – um. I can remove that. Yeah, it's – it's man, miss me with all of it. You know what I'm saying? Miss me with all of it. So, so. interesting, interesting thing so far in baseball this year, there is only one – baseball team that has not lost a single series. New York yet. Yankees. The New York Yankees. They continue mm-hmm. today. They get the win over the Angels. Listen, uh, <clears throat> a nice pitching performance from Nestor Cortez. Uh, he mm-hmm. pitches well. Uh, bullpen gets it done. The Yankees get a couple run, a uh, couple more runs late to get it done. And mm-hmm. <laughs> listen, there were two fantastic plays in the outfield today. One of them didn't result in anything, but Cabrera, who's not naturally an outfielder, but he just moved out there, right? He, on a base hit to left field, he played a ball in the short hop and threw a seed to home plate and uh, honestly almost cut him down. Um, the guy, it was a swipe tag, and he just got his hand in. Uh, Brandon Drury right before the the tag, but it was a fantastic play nonetheless to make it that close. Like I said, he picked the short hop and just fired a bullet to home plate. And then on the very next uh, next batter, uh, Gio, uh, no, Isaiah Connor Falefa made a really fantastic play in center field. Um, now with the Yankees, I hate to see this happen. Um, but we now have uh, this year's first injury to Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing he did wrong, just a, a hamstring issue running the bases. He just kind of felt it grab. And it's uh, it's important for them to have him in the lineup. You know, they brought Peraza back up. He played second today next to Bolpe, who played short. And then, you know, they're kicking the tires on some veteran outfielders. They just signed – 
uh, Cole Calhoun to a free agent contract, and they're going to send him down to Tampa and see what they got. Um, you know, to me, uh, go get go get Dominguez. Who? Go get go get Jason Dominguez. Just bring this kid up. I don't know why they Let don't want kid. to, but they don't seem to Let want to do it. Just um, something's not right. That's why. Yeah, for whatever reason, they don't want to bring up Dominguez, and I don't understand why. Um, this is just – this is it's malfeasance, honestly, on Cashman's part because he insists on trying to get something out of Aaron Hicks. You're not going to get anything out of Aaron Hicks. So eat the money. Eat the money. Listen, when you are, when you are batting Isaiah Kanaka-Lefa, when you are pitch-hitting Isaiah Kanaka-Lefa, when you need a hit, and when someone asks you why, you didn't go to Hicks, you say, we didn't need a walk. We needed a hit. <laughs> that guy should not be on your team. Um, another he be on your injury, team. I, just, I, I, I agree with you. And real quick, just before I forget this, another side note, injury in that game, the young catcher, uh, Logan O'Hoppy. Uh, yeah, I saw that. They man. got from Philly. Uh, injured his shoulder with a swing and miss in the ninth inning. He's going to be reevaluated. That kid uh, barely, you know, hitting around 250, but 12 RBIs, three or four home runs in his first 50 at bats. Um, Joe Girardi really impressed with this guy too. You know, he was talking on the uh, with Yankees broadcasters about him. Um, he's a uh, if he can stay healthy the Angels may have found themselves a number one catcher long-term. Um, he's a nice little player, and I've been impressed with what I've seen out of him early on in um, his first call-up. And he wasn't even supposed to be there yet, but they had an injury to their starting catcher early in the year, so they bring the kid up. Um, he, by all accounts, he's doing a good job calling games. Establishing rapport with pitchers, and he's holding his own at the plate. And um, you could see why he was such a highly touted prospect in this Phillies organization. You said Phillies or Angels? What are we talking about, the Angels? No, so so he he was he is an uh, angel now, but you could see why the Phillies considered him such a high prospect and why the Angels coveted him. He was in that uh, he was the piece that they got back in the Brandon Marsh trade. Ah, I see, I see, I see, I see. Um, yeah, um, the kid. Listen, based on how he was hanging his arm, I could easily see him being out for the rest of the year. Easy. It was that bad. It was that bad. And it's just on a swing um, and miss, too. It's not even like a home plate collision. It's not like, you know, some kind of physical play. It just seems like a freak uh, sort of accident. And it's a good reminder to these guys, man, to – Really enjoy the moments and take advantage of it because smooth things can happen. It always makes me laugh when people like 
my bad. Uh, That's okay. Swallowed some water down the wrong hole. Um, <laughs> but no, it it makes me laugh when people want to always like project out people's careers on like how great this guy's going to be and you know um, how much this person's going to affect the game and all this and it's like. You ha- you can't do that without the caveat of it. Can he stay healthy? Because freak injuries happen all the time. Yeah. Uh, sometimes on contact play. Sometimes, like I said, even on this where the kid just swung and missed. And you know, um, speedy recovery to that kid. Though I'm I'm impressed with the early returns on this kid, and I hope you know hope he gets back soon. And if it's not yeah. this year, yeah. I just hope he I hope he has a full recovery. And we get to see more of him because, like I said, small sample size, but 50-plus at-bats um, in his first stint in the major leagues. He looked, he definitely looks like he belongs. He has not looked over his head at yeah. all. No, he doesn't. And that's the thing about it is, you know, when you're talking shoulders, shoulder injuries, mm-hmm. dude, it's, um, it's, it's rough because anything can happen. Anything can happen when you go to when you talk about shoulder injuries. It could be a thing where it affects his throwing. Once it affects his throwing, then he starts trying to do other things to to get better with his throwing. And now he's tearing up his arm. Now he's torn up his arm. He's adjusting his hitting stroke. It, it can get ugly, you know. So hopefully, the kid makes a full recovery, and hopefully the Angels don't butcher this like they have with a lot of other injuries over the years and rush guys back and. Um, because all I got, all you got to do is look at Rendon. Rendon has been healthy for late, literally for the entirety of his contract. Because every time he turned around, he was trying to come back early. No, if it takes forever, it takes forever. But get him right, get him healthy. So hopefully, in all the fairness, Angels, though. Uh huh. In all fairness, though, I'm not real sure they have butchered a lot of injuries, but I'm not real sure that I would. Uh, put all that uh, Rendon thing on the Angels. He <clears throat> had trouble at times staying healthy uh, as a Washington National. He had trouble staying healthy in college at Rice. Uh, even yeah. had one year where all he could do was DH. So Rendon, I feel like, is one of those guys, uh, something about the name of Anthony, the Davis, Rendon, I don't know. <laughs> uh, one of those guys that just uh, – you know, has trouble staying healthy. Now, I don't think the Angels have done him any favors um, along the way, but that's one I can't necessarily put on the Angels. And and listen, they almost messed up Otani his first year in the big Yes. Yes. Remember that? people. See, people forget about that. Yeah, they almost messed up Otani. And then he, you know, there was really uh, talk that he might have to go to and have Tommy John surgery, I'll be honest with you, I was one that thought that he would and wondered if they were making a mistake not doing it. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's been able to bounce back and, and be fine. So, you know, it, it, it's impressive to see. But, uh, you know, he had a a point in time in his first year and parts of his second year where it was almost like he had no idea where the ball was going. Like, you could tell he had the stuff but it was just like he couldn't control it. And usually, if you, have a, if you have a pitcher that has shown the ability to really control the baseball and then he can't all of a sudden, 
that's when you start worrying about is there some damage somewhere. Right. Yeah, I agree, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because some of these injuries that are coming up, man, are really, really impactful to some of these teams. But at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to, especially when you're talking about the Angels, is pitching. Okay, well, okay, so I did change the address. It's, yeah, so it's going to come down to a lot of things. Okay. Yeah, you're definitely looking at You're definitely looking at pitching with the Angels. Um, you know, Jose Suarez really hasn't found it. Uh, he looked kind of good early, but uh, Patrick Sandoval is, is uh, you know, getting up on 0-2 on guys and losing guys and not being able to be very uh, pitch efficient. So um, this team, you got to have something besides Otani in this rotation. And it's, it's funny because – there's a guy that I do a baseball collective show with on Clubhouse on Wednesday nights, and he and he has been touting the Angels organization, their pitching, and saying you know Suarez and Sandoval and, and Detmers and all these guys, some of how deep their pitching is, and I, and even Reed Detmers is another guy that the stuff is there. The guy threw a no hitter last year, but mm-hmm. he hasn't learned yet to be efficient. And so right. he's another guy that's throwing too many pitches. And so, you know, they definitely have some talent in this rotation. But right. until you learn to harness that talent, uh, you know, you're going to tax your bullpen and you can't just outplug everybody. I mean, right. their, lineup is better than, their lineup is better than it was a year ago. Uh, but you can't just outplug everybody. Right. And they better they better try to distance themselves from the Rangers right now because if Corey Seager can get back and uh, you know by sometime in June and still give you two thirds of the season, Corey Seager was smoking the ball. He was one of those guys really benefiting from this uh, not being able to shift anymore and that kind of thing because he hits the ball hard. I knew that from Corey Seager even watching him. In Triple A, no, there was a Dodgers Triple A team out of Oklahoma City. I went and saw them in Salt Lake when these kids were in the minors, and it was Seager was on the same team with Jack Peterson, and mm-hmm. the the ball just had a different sound coming off Corey Seager's bat, even on outs. It just had a different sound coming off his bat than anybody else's. Um, he he barrels the ball. He was really really. He got off to a really hot start. I hate to see him uh, get hurt and be out for a chunk of time. But you know the, the Rangers are keeping their head above water, and, and we'll see. Degrom uh, left his last start early, so we'll see what's going on there. But uh, this is the the Angels better better try to make some headway right now. Uh, because yeah. uh, Texas got to find their stride, and Seattle played a really tough schedule uh, to start the season. They lost the series to Cleveland, but they returned the favor when they went back to Cleveland. Um, and Seattle's going to find their stride too. And so uh, they better the, the Angels better make up some ground right now while they can. 
Because if not, yep. they're gonna they're gonna fall. Did you see this story that came out about the ace today? The ace owner. No. There's been talk about purchase of a of a strip of land in Las Vegas where they uh, build a ballpark, and so there has not been a deal finalized on a park yet, but there has been uh, a deal finalized on land. Even the A's yep. owner came out today and said, Las Vegas A's sounds really good to me. So, yet they today keep complaining about the fact that no one will go to the game. Yeah, but you, right. but you keep complaining about the fans not going to the game. Why would I go pay to see a team that's leaving? And why am I going to go pay to see a team that anytime you get some talent, you ship them out? Exactly. I mean, listen. Atlanta is benefiting greatly from that with Sean Murphy and uh, Matt Olson. And, and Shay Langoliers may be a major league catcher for a long time. He's got the ability to, do, to be that. Uh, but, he'll be trading him at the deadline. But he'll get traded too. I mean, and that's the thing. And it, it's been more so in the last uh, 20 years since the Billy Bean days. But this Angels, I mean, this athletics franchise, has done that for years. I mean, go back to the 70s. Ricky left that team. Reggie left that team. Um, They have have not been able to, for the most part, retain their stars. Then you go into the 80s and more so into the 90s. You trade Mark McGuire. If Conseco hadn't declined, they probably would have traded him. He wasn't the same guy late anyway, but Anybody that, you know, they unprotect Walt White, so then he goes and uh, plays for both expansion teams in Florida and uh, Colorado before he ends up in Atlanta uh, in the mid to late 90s. Uh, so you you have anybody that's been stars on this team, they, they've uh, gotten rid of it. I mean, this has been the story of the A's franchise. Uh Ooh, your boy Catfish Hunter, uh, Riley Fingers, all these guys end up going somewhere else. Um, and and so they, they have not been able to keep guys to stay, you know, the majority of their career. And then you add to that, the Mets broadcast team could not even call their game from the visitors' radio broadcast booth because there was a possum in the wall. <laughs> so that's... There's a lot going on, uh, not good in Oakland. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, there was also a story came out this week that said that uh, one lifelong A's fan, they had gotten together and they were organizing a <laughs> reverse boycott and they were going to show up uh, in, in vast numbers on a Tuesday night when you don't expect fans to be there just to make a point to the owners and to uh, the city to say, it's not that the fans won't show up. It's that we're not happy with the product and what they're we're trying to run out there and expect us to put our money behind and support. Say again, Mike, uh, for some reason, uh, they dropped me. I did fall back in. So the Oakland fans, there's a, a story that came out this week. They're going to do a reverse boycott type deal 
for a Tuesday night game when you would expect a very small percentage of people to be there um, because the fans want to make the statement to the city and anybody watching that it's not a fan problem. So right. they're supposed to be picking a Tuesday game and really showing up just once to make the statement to the city and anybody that's watching. It's not because of us. It's because right. of the owners. It's because of what you've done to this franchise that we're not showing up because you're not putting anything out there for us to really root for. Exactly. And so exactly. Uh, that's what we're running into there. They want to blame the fans, but you got to put a product on the field. You know, they, listen, um, in the early 2010s, the Atlanta Braves attendance dramatically fell off. Yep. Well, when, when you can't come up with more than about 40 home runs in your entire starting outfield for the whole year, um, you know, that's part of the reason why. Uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have talent. This was, a, this was a fourth or fifth place team several years in a row. Now they were able to rebuild it. And they were able to use their position in the draft to get some guys that uh, have really been instrumental in helping them get back to this point. Uh, but, and now this franchise is a model of consistency, and you're starting to see other teams follow the pattern. Uh, it's not just uh, – Atlanta now, Cincinnati, locked up Hunter Green. You're starting to see other teams try to lock down some of these guys very early on in their major league career. If they identify them as a guy that we believe is going to be part of us moving forward, well, they may end up taking a little less money in their first couple years of free agency, but if they make bank in these – first few years where they would just be making the uh, the major league minimum salary, then it pays off for them in the long run and it pays off for the franchise. So, uh, you know, a lot of other teams, mid-market teams or other teams that don't necessarily think they're going to be quite as desirable of a free agent destination as some of these hotspots are starting to follow this pattern. Well, you're not going to be a desirable destination. Why is this showing up? What's that tape? It's $50. When you won't put a quality product on the field. If guys know you're going to pay them, right, they'll show up. Period in the store. They'll come there. Now, what, what's happening, and, again, I'm looking at some of the, some of the – uh, some of the uh, agents on this. They're letting these guys take well under market contracts. Right? For for the security of a long term deal. I have a problem with that. I really do. Um but okay, you're talking your client basically you're negotiating against your client's best interest at that point. You're negotiating against their best interest. Because you're telling you're telling them 
yeah, but you'll you get some money for this amount of time. But there's, that's less money that they can get. But if, it's, if the guys are willing to do it, okay, fine. You know, don't tell me when you're a billionaire and you own a, a sports franchise, you don't have any money. Then you shouldn't be allowed to own a franchise. Yeah, but you know, because all you hear, all you hear with Oakland is, wow, small market, small market. Nobody forced him to buy that team. Nobody forced him. And why did baseball allow a guy who can't afford to run the team properly to own a team? Yeah. No, that's a fact. You look at, like, and it's interesting to see, though, because I, I get both sides of it. Like, the Atlanta Braves locked up Michael Harris last year. They brought him up as a rookie. They liked what they saw out of him. And I think he got <clears throat> something like eight years and $80 million or something. That's somewhere around that. $10 million right. a year. Now, if he did not sign that contract, then it's possibly possible he goes to arbitration in say years four and five, and maybe can get fifteen and, to twenty in those in exactly. those two years. But but he gets the he gets the major league minimum in the first four. So then. He only walks away with like three million in those first four years. By signing this contract in his first four, this guy's going to get forty million plus dollars. And at the end of the day, his comment was, "I only need so much money, and I want the ability to stay home, so my family, my friends, people that uh, I grew up with can come see me play on a regular basis. I want the comforts of being able to live." in an area that I grew up in and be able to call this my home for the next decade. And so if a player chooses to do that, they're not being coerced into it, I don't necessarily see a problem with it. Well, the thing was, up until Michael Harris, the only players they'd been getting to take such undervalued contracts were all from the Dominican Republic. Every single one of them. Well, they Every gave, single one. I'm not talking about the Braves. Them. I'm talking about, um, right. I said, up, uh, well, up until this season. Up until this season, because you go back to Jose Ramirez. Do you know how much money Jose Ramirez could have made if he ever wanted to get to get free agency? Right. He would have easily been a $300 million player. That's how good he is. He was the first one that took basically an under-market contract. And a lot of other Dominican and, and guys, a lot of other Dominican players followed suit. So up until this season where suddenly the Braves got everybody to take under-market contracts, I'm talking with Matt Olson. You go across the border on the Braves. The majority of their star players are all on undermarket deals. Let's see. That was Austin Riley got 23. Austin Riley got mm-hmm. 20. I mean, uh, Matt Olson got 23 plus million a year. Austin Riley got about 21 million. You mm-hmm. had Acuna. You had Ozzy. You had all these guys. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, they did want to stay where they are. Right. They wanted to. Right. They they wanted to play with this organization, and they want to be part of a of a winning culture. And so, hey, more power to them if they decide to do it. You know, the, the one thing that I will say though is, a, a, as much as you can say it's it's under market, if these guys fall off after a couple of years, which a lot of them maybe won't. But if somebody also has, like, a career-ending injury in year three or something, then you look up and you barely made $3 million. 
Yeah, now well, you threw well, your the, arm the, out the, your career's over. Yeah, the face of that is Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks got an above-market contract. But what he had done, the amount of money they re-signed him to, didn't make any sense, and now no one will take his contract. And he's only making $10 million a year. But yeah. for, the, for the play that he's giving you, you, you paying $10 million for that? Is anybody going to pay $10 million for that? Absolutely not. No, I, I'm not paying so, $10,000. Exactly. So think about Aaron, Aaron Hicks is the, the example of, well, what if, right, <laughs> you sign him to this contract and it don't work out? Well, you got Aaron Hicks. You got Aaron Hicks. But of all the people who signed these extensions in the past few years, let's be honest, the only one that didn't work out is the Yankees, who up until two years ago never extended guys. The Yankees always said, nope, we let guys get the free agency and then we'll negotiate. We don't extend players. We don't extend Jose Ramirez just got a new contract. Didn't he go before yeah. this season? And it's, it's still under market. It's, still it's definitely still in the market for him. I mean, yeah. it's still uh, that, that's not that's not that's not sugarcoat it though. It is, you know, for for you and me and anybody else, it's it's a uh, it's a significant chunk of money, especially going back yes. home. Like that's a lot of money to support, and so there definitely is some security in it. Yes, but, it, but, but see. Every industry. It's not what these other guys made. He, he can he, no. He's every bit the player that Xander Bogart or right. You know uh, some of these other guys right. are that hit free agency. Exactly. See, every industry has its pricing. I was an engineer. I'm not. I don't answer my phone unless 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 the numbers you're talking about a certain number. Don't answer my phone. Now, okay, you're a cashier, Walmart, you make $11 an hour. That's nice. I can't help the fact that, I, that, that I'm not ta- Listen, listen. <laughs> I'm not answering the phone for under a certain amount of money an hour. I'm sorry, annually. You know, yeah, because you know you're annually. Exactly. So when people say, yeah, but for you and me, well, you know what? I understand what it is to make a lot of money in a year. I understand what it is to make $100,000 a year. You know? I know what that's like. Done it. Been there, done that. I know it's like to be flying internationally, all that other good groovy stuff. Been there, done that. So when you, people, when I start saying I don't get as caught up in the numbers too, oh, but for you and me, I don't care about you and me because you don't, that's not the industry I'm in. In the industry they're in, they're, they're, what they're paying is under market value. You know, so like I said, I get into it with, with the Yankees, the two guys that they extended, and it's been a miserable failure. Luis Severino. Aaron Hicks. Every right. other team, it's worked out great. <laughs> it's worked out great. What are, what are your uh, – so you're, you're a Yankees guy. I feel like I'm seeing some things promising from him. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far from Anthony Volpe, not only at the plate but in the field? I still see a guy that is – he is a lot more sizzle than consistency. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I would prefer him and Peraza in the middle infield. Peraza's not as flashy. Peraza's going to give me a hell of a lot more consistency in both his defensive play and his offensive play. 
I've watched Volpe mishandle some balls that cost the team a game. And I know that Peraza wouldn't mishandle those balls. You know, and again, it's not the knock the kid. He is going to be very good defensively. Peraza's the wizard. So, at the end of the day, I need Peraza in this lineup. I would prefer and Volpe at second base. Yes, I would prefer Peraza at short and Volpe at second. I think Volpe's a second baseman. I think he's a second baseman. Because whenever he makes a throw, when the announcers have to keep mentioning, see he has enough arm, see he has enough arm, they're trying to start a narrative that his arm is fine and he should be playing shortstop. Anthony Peraza has a second baseman's arm. Listen, second baseman have pretty strong arms, B, okay? They have pretty strong arms. But to a throw from in the hole, deep in the hole, the shortstop is a special arm. Volpe doesn't have that arm. In order for him to make that throw, he's got to stop, he's got to set his feet, he's got to load, and he's got to throw. Tells me he's got a second baseman's arm. Because a shortstop doesn't have to do that. A shortstop with a shortstop's arm, he don't have to load. Sometimes he don't even have to set his feet. And with the bigger bases, that's the difference between an out and a base hit. That's the difference. No. And speaking of young shortstops, listen, uh, initially there were some questions about it. Uh, from what I saw in his first 45 at-bats this year, um, I understood why the Braves decided to go with Orlando Arcia at shortstop. Listen, he has been a starting shortstop on a playoff team already in his career. Uh, and he – made all the plays and making some tremendous plays at short was 15 for his first 45 and 47 at the plate. Um, was showing some pop in his bat too, uh, to start the season, but he goes down, uh, got hit on the wrist. So a micro fracture in his wrist. And now Bon Grissom, uh, has come up to play shortstop for the Braves. I still think he's, you know, we'll see. I, I think he's got the ability to play shortstop. He played shortstop in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, he had one play that didn't look good very early in his first game up, but uh, he's definitely going to get a, you know, trial by fire and an audition to solidify himself as the everyday shortstop for this team. Um, but he's going to have to really impress <clears throat> for them to supplant Orlando Arcia from what they saw from him early in the season. Um you know, the, the early returns last year was that his bat would play at the major league level. He did struggle some, you know, once people really got a better look at him, which doesn't surprise me because he was coming from double A last year. Right. So, you know, we'll see if they can, uh, how he does this time around. He looks to be hanging in so far, uh, but how he does this time around, because at the end of the day, if his bat will play, even if they don't quite think he's there defensively, they'll find a place for him um, in the lineup. You know, they uh, have D.H., Darno and Murphy, whichever guy's not behind the plate when Darno was out. He had that concussion um, at the plate. So now Murphy's really settled in. Boy, he swung a hot bat this last week. Um, and then another guy in Atlanta that 
has really settled in and shown a lot of flashes. He showed flashes in Colorado, but only a small bit at the time. But, you know, the the one thing that has been uh, a plus for them with the Michael Harris injury is Sam Hilliard has really played a good center field for them and has really been making the case to maybe get some more playing time in that outfield once Harris gets back. And if you can have – listen, if you can have uh, – if you can end up with Sam Hilliard in left at times and Harris in center and Acuna in right, that's a lot of speed and a lot of athletic ability in that outfield. Yep. Uh, um, and then they're starting to get their pitchers back, too. Uh, Free, Freed's back. He threw five shutout innings against the Padres. Kyle Wright had one rocky start, but then bounced back and pitched well his next time out. So they're starting to get uh, – they're starting to get some of their pitchers back too. So um, this team's looking good. And you called it about the Rays, and we saw it last weekend. They dropped a series at Toronto. They ended up winning the series against uh, Cincinnati, but not before they got smoked in one game. So um, the Rays got off to a really fast start, but, you know, they beat teams they were supposed to beat. They were able to fatten up on last place teams. Um and now the Rays have had some injuries. Jeffrey Springs, who looked, quite, I mean, quite frankly, very dominant in his first few starts this season. Some elbow issues and maybe out at minimum of a couple of months. Now you got another young prospect that's come up and looked good. But, you know, Taj Bradley, And but how many times can you continue to rely on prospects? I think Tampa's going to be there uh, in the end, but you know that this is not the uh, the runaway team in the East that a lot of people were predicting after just two weeks in the season. Yeah, I agree. You know, change like every day in So yeah, Tampa. Listen, Tampa's going to be there, but there was no way that Tampa was good enough. They weren't. Let me let me be honest. They weren't head and shoulders better than everybody else in baseball. They just weren't. No. Then they're not, and that's the way they were playing. Well, a thirteen-game winning streak that says your head and shoulders better than everybody else in baseball. They're not. They lost the kid Springs, um, to Tommy John surgery. Franco's hurt now. Franco's hurt now too, right? Wanda Franco. Wanda Franco has not been healthy a day in the major leagues. Um, he has consistently gotten injured. Um, what is it this time? Is it, is it, is it his wrist again? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I just know he started the year hot, and then now he's banged up again. Yeah. Oh, that kid. Listen, that kid is a true five-tool player. His issue has been he can't stay healthy. Um, and that you see, they got rid of Willie Adamas too soon. Willie Adamas stays healthy. Now, is he the hitter that Franco is? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He but might you know what? Power. I would rather have Willie Adamas than Taylor Walls. Because Taylor Walls can't hit to save his life. He is a defensive wizard. He cannot hit to save his life. So now you're going to lose Franco, and you're going back to a guy who can't hit, although he can catch. Well, you're going to need hits. That's a hole in your lineup. You wouldn't have had that hole with Adamas. So, 
But, yeah, if Franco, listen, I feel bad for the kid because this kid is so gifted. He is so gifted. You know, and depending on what his injury is, maybe you got to start thinking about um, changing positions. You know, you got to figure out what's going on with him. Now, I'll tell you a kid that has impressed me. I uh, just watched him over the last week. Now, can he continue string string it together? I'm not sure. But a guy that I really was not – have not been sure about. I knew that he could run, whatever, a big shortstop. But Bobby Witt, Jr., uh, watching him this, over this last week because, you know, they just played the Braves in a three-game set this last weekend, uh, put together some real – some good at-bats, had multiple three-hit games in a row. Uh, this is another kid that's got all the tools. Um if that bat can come around and play consistently, he's got a chance to be in the majors for a long, long time. Oh, Bobby Wood Jr., listen, the kid, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Um, it just took him a minute. And and they were yo-yoing him because they were still trying to get something out of Mondesi. With Mondesi gone, I have no doubt that Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be perfectly fine. Now, th- there's no another doubt. story I'm going to – I'm going to go back to Atlanta for a minute because there's another story that it, it, it's kind of a cool story. We talk about injuries and injuries costing people their seasons and whatever else. But three years ago, the opening day starter for the Atlanta Braves was a Canadian named Michael Soroka. Mm-hmm. And Soroka legit was looking like an ace. He came off an all-star appearance the previous season opening day starter, uh, the guy partway through the season tears up his Achilles. Bam, gone. Next year, 2021, on his way back, starting to get better. And we have ruptures it again. Next year, trying to come back, compensating some shoulder issues, some other different things going on. Um, he he finally got back, um, got to spring training this year, tweaked a hammy. So late getting out of the blocks in spring training, put together a couple performances. He's ramping up at AAA. He had a four-inning start. He just went uh, six innings, gave up four hits and five strikeouts and only one walk. Last time out, there's not really any spot in that rotation right now. But they're ramping this kid up, and uh, this could be a really cool story of perseverance and a guy really uh, pushing. Uh, When you're looking at maybe three years uh, between major league appearances and a guy being able to figure it out and get back in the saddle, uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Mm -hmm. He is is able to find a way to get back in. And do that because the kid had remarkable stuff. I mean, he threw hard, uh, had magic, you know, really had sync on his balls, jammed people a lot. And at times when he was uh, when he was on, he it wasn't quite as flashy as uh, some other guys, but he was really hard to hit, and you know, it was really had all the makings of a front line, you know, ace type guy. So. Uh, I hope he's able to continue to put it together and get back. Not just because he's from the team that I like, but, uh, you know, 
uh, there are a lot of guys after the first injury, fine. After the second one, and then when he started having some more setbacks the next year, he finally started to question whether or not he was going to be able to get back. But he, you know, he never wavered. And so to see a guy come all the way back is pretty special, I think. Yeah, it is. And, and hopefully he can just stay healthy and be able to continue on. What do you think about Scherzer getting a 10-game suspension? I think the fact that it was Phil Cuzzy is the reason he was ejected. Um, I think Phil Cuzzy's a clown. Phil Cuzzy, when they started this whole um, attention to stuff, was the guy who ejected the first guy under this, under this new era of we don't want stuff on your hands. If it's rosin, which is legal, why are you throwing them out of the game? Because Neither. now you have to – see, here's the thing. Well, how much is too much? Is that going to go from umpire to umpire? Because obviously they didn't think Domingo Herman had too much, even though they, they thought he had too much, but they didn't, they didn't throw him out of the game. So either you're going to pass the law or rule that you can't use the rosin bag in the dugout, You can only use the one on the field, or you can't be checking guys when they come out of the dugout. Because if you put Rosin on in the dugout, when he comes out, guess what you're going to feel on his hands? Something. Because that's what was happening. That's what was happening. He said, well, it was on his glove. Well, if I put it on my hand and I touch my glove, guess what? Rosin is now on my glove. The whole way this went down with Cuzzy was ridiculous. It was stupid. And, again, rosin is legal. There's so a, how are you ejecting a, me and suspending me for something that's legal? There's a few umpires that I really feel like that about. Another one that I've always had issue with is C.B. Buckner. Oh, yeah. Um, he's a clown. Um, there, there's a few of them that I wonder how in the world these guys still have uh, jobs as major league umpires because if I were performing like that in most of, most of the jobs that I've been in, uh, my performance evaluations would have gotten me pushed right out the door. Um, so, you know, I look at that and just, wow. Um, sticking in New York, it looks like uh, he's starting to ramp up, and there's still some optimism on his part by Justin Berlander that he's going to possibly be able to make his Mets debut uh, before mm-hmm. the end of April. Your thoughts on Mr. Berlander? Um, we'll see. We will see. One of the one of the things that I find extremely funny is that see Met fans sometimes Met fans just need to shut up. Sometimes they need to shut up. Because the whole thing was, they went and they went, they, they kept insulting and character assassinating Jacob DeGrom. Oh, Verlin's going to make more starts. And Jacob DeGrom, blah, 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 blah. Justin Verlin is 40 years old, man. He's 40 right. years old. And he's had his share of injuries, too. Now, he's, he's been healthier more than DeGrom. 
But right. he's also older. Right. So don't run your mouth too much. He's going to make more starch. You know, you know, you know, listen, listen, just relax. Okay? Relax. Relax. But they didn't do it. Verlander will make probably 20 starts this season. He won't make 30. 20 starts is fine. Because guess what that means? That means he should be fully healthy. This should be fully he should be fully healthy come playoff time. The issue with the Mets is not is not pitching. The issue with the Mets is the fact that Buck Showalter refuses refuses to allow these young players to come up and play. This is the reason that instead of bringing in Mariano Rivera, he went to Jack McDowell. Because he didn't want to use a young player. I know what Jack McDowell is. I didn't know what Mariano was. Yeah, Jack McDowell, everybody in their mother knew that he was going to give it up when you brought him in a game. Final from uh, final from Brooklyn, the 76ers were able to come back and win that game and go up 3-0 in this series. They win 102-97 to 97 to a competitive game, which we thought the Nets would be able to really compete. Uh, leading scorer on both sides in this game was Mikel Bridges, uh, 26, mm-hmm. six, six rebounds, five assists, so a good game for him. Uh, but Sixers are up 3-0, one game away uh, from a sweep in this series. Um, yeah, you know, that that was my next thing about uh, Buck Showalter. They brought Britt Beatty up. He played one game at third base, not in the lineup today. Um, they brought Francisco Alvarez up. You know, he's sticking with Thomas Nito. We're not seeing mm-hmm. a ton of him. And it's like, okay, if you're going to bring these prospects up, let don't play. let these guys lang- – don't language- don't put these guys on the bench. That's one thing that the Angels are doing that I like. They brought up that Zach Neto kid mm-hmm. uh, who – you know, is one of their top prospects in a shortstop. And ever since he has come up, uh, he's been in the lineup every day, right? So um, if you're going to bring these kids up to see what they have, then put them out on the field. Uh, so, yep. you know, Buck Showalter, play these guys. You cannot tell me, I, sure, he needs to learn more behind the plate. And he will if you let him learn on the job. But you cannot tell me, that Thomas Neto has a better bat than Francisco Alvarez, or that Eduardo Escobar, the way he's thumping right now, uh, really needs to be playing over Brett Beatty at third base. Listen, um, Beatty, again, if you want to platoon them, I don't have a problem because, honestly, I think Brett Beatty is more of a first baseman. He's a third baseman. He can play, he can play an adequate third base, maybe to average. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be above average. Eduardo Escobar is better defensively than Brett Beatty. Okay. You can always bring Escobar in in the late innings for defense. But you have to let these kids play. Alvarez is a better hitter. Oh, and by, see, here's, here's what just keeps – no one keeps bringing up. Stop telling me that you're worried about him defensively when he's your everyday catcher at AAA. If he's playing and like AAA, and like we talked about and like we talked about last week, he's had experience with the pitch clock already. 
Yes. So the, the excuses you're giving are crap. Because if he was that bad defensively, you know where he'd be playing at AAA? He'd be the DH. Yeah. He would be DH I mean, more than he's catching. He's catching more than he's DHing. So what's your excuse now? You know, the White Sox, the White Sox bring up Oscar Colas. They're running him out there in right field. Maybe not. Maybe they'll sit him against some tough left-handed pitchers, but they're running him out there in right field to find out what they mm-hmm. have. Uh, yep. When Tim Anderson went down, they brought up this Lindor Sosa kid. Uh, they're running him out there at second base to see what they have. Uh, yep. The Pirates, when O'Neill Cruz went down, they got this young Castro kid who was maybe going to play some second base for him. They're running him out there at shortstop to see what they have. Um, and if it's not on our team, it could be somewhere else. But if you're going to bring these kids up, you have to play them. Yeah. And because if not, you're doing a disservice to these kids. That's why Atlanta did not start the season with Vaughn Grissom on the major league roster because they felt more comfortable with Orlando Arcia at shortstop. Okay. So if you're going to make that call, you don't carry this kid as a backup infielder. No. Or maybe he gets two or three starts a week. So they sent him down. They sent the shoemate kid down. They sent both of them down so they could get starts every day. Yeah. And that's what the, uh, and so that's what you have to do with these guys. You cannot keep a now if it's a young guy that the only thing that you project them to ever be in the majors is a role player. Fine. Then do that. But at the same time, if you think they could be something special, which Atlanta did in his uh, brief time in the majors last year, even though he struggled late in the season, Vaughn Grissom still hit almost 300. And he showed you some power. So they believe that this guy legitimately has the ability to be an everyday player. If they didn't want to start, it, start him at shortstop to start the season, they send him down. He has options. They love their deck. So they send him to AAA, let him play every day. So if something happens, because inevitably it's a long season, and inevitably it did, not his fault that he got hit on the wrist, but inevitably it did, Arsky got hurt, so you bring Grissom up, Guess what? He was hitting 400 in the few games he played at AAA, but he was getting regular at bat. He's more ready to step in than he would have been if he were languishing on your bench. This is true. But you have to look at who the manager is. The Mets are allowing Buck Showalter latitude that most managers don't get. Listen, most Major league staff uh, uh, um, teams, managers don't make out the lineup. Analytics does. Manager doesn't decide on rest days. Analytics does. But now, Showalter now let me gets, be, go ahead. Let me be clear. I think that Buck Showalter is what the Mets needed last year. I, I think yes. they needed a change. I think they needed a different voice. Um, I, I thought at the time that it wasn't a bad hire to bring in a guy. But Brooks Showalter helps get teams to a threshold. 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't get them across the threshold. No, he doesn't. It's not an accident that he wasn't the guy in New York that won the World Series. He was the or guy that helped them get back to their winning in Arizona either. He was the guy that helped them get to their winning ways and helped yep. them get off the mat. You know, he helped and Baltimore, Baltimore get back to the playoffs when they had been bleak for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so th- he's a he's a good manager. Buck Showalter, and um, it's been really fun to hear, like, over the last few days, old Joe Stimson stayed at home. And on the last uh, road trip, the play-by-play announcer for the Braves, Ben Ingram, had Darren O'Day in the booth with him. Darren O'Day, long-time relief pitcher in the major leagues, played with Baltimore, played with Atlanta at the end of his career. Uh, but played for several years in the major leagues. And it's been fun to hear the players take um, on different people in baseball and some fun stories. It was was very entertaining uh, to hear them in the booth together. But, I mean, he even said about Buck Showalter, he's like, he's one of the most knowledgeable baseball men that you'll come across. Um, You can learn a lot about the game just sitting in a dugout with him for three hours. Yep, and and I don't deny that at all, but these old heads sometimes get stuck in their ways, and it's almost like they think, well, these kids have to pay their dues and all this kind of stuff, and it's like, no, it's a different game now. You've got to play these kids. Yeah, you like have I to said, play it, these it, kids. the issue with Buck is is always going to come down to. Buck can get you to the door. Buck can get you to the club. He can't get you in. Right. That's he's, like he's like the Uber driver. He's like the Uber driver. He can get you to the front door. That is it. And But, you know, looking around, uh, you know, we talked about this the other day. Dodgers struggling a little bit. You better get them now. Uh, but, they trying to develop some of these kids, um, but their offense has kind of been hit or miss, which is what you would expect from a bunch of young guys and some old veterans. That they're trying to find out how much they still have left in the tank. And but but you know they're having some struggles right now. Uh, Fernando Tatis coming back today, Chandler. Yeah, I expect three hits um, and two stolen bases. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it's good to see him back. Uh he better have some thick skin because I feel like he's gonna get rashed in some places, but uh I don't think he really cares that much. I think he's just happy to be back in the game. Uh, you know, he's gonna play in the outfield. So, you know, which you're I don't not like. gonna play third. Which I don't like. I don't like it. I think, no, I don't necessarily like it either, but uh, he is athletic enough to play out there, uh, but he's not—he's—he's he's not better than Manny Machado at third base. He's well, not no, better he's than what? He's not a Go better ahead, third sorry. baseman than Manny Machado. He's not a better third baseman than Manny Machado. He's not a better defensive shortstop than Xander Bogarts. I don't believe. Uh, but I, I think 
I think I would have put Tatis at first. I wouldn't listen. Whatever Tatis is a shortstop. See, we need to start with the this guy's athletic. It's not about whether they can play the position. It's, it's using different muscle groups that he's never used. Diving for a ball in the hole versus running 30 yards and diving is much more impact and trauma on your body. Outfielders have to learn how, which, way to, which way it is to turn the glove when you're diving so you don't roll up on your wrist. Infielders don't worry right. about that. No. There's a hell of a lot more to playing the outfield than just being able to run and catch. And if you're worried about him staying healthy, which is supposedly the thought process behind it, well, guess what? There's more chance of him getting hurt in the outfield than there is in the infield. I agree. I would have put him at second or first base. I don't think I would have signed Xander Bogarts, to be honest with you. But if you're going to sign Xander and bring him in, then you got to put you got to put Tatis somewhere. I believe you got to put him in, put, put him in, put second. Him in second base. You put him in second base, and you use Kim as your do a uh, 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 Swiss Army knife utility guy. Because Kim, honestly, he reminds me of Oswaldo Cabrera in that you could put him anywhere on the diamond, including a catcher, and you wouldn't have to worry about anything. No, but he's going to give him a solid second base. If you're going to take Cronenworth as a second baseman and put him at first, you could put Tatis over there. Yeah, I agree I, that I he agree. should be a shortstop, but he's not going to be on that team. Honestly, I don't. I think I think the whole thing is that they're going to trade Fernando Tatis. They're going to trade him. There, there have was, been some issues was, with him in management. There's been issues with him in management for a minute. The suspension, because see, what people don't pay attention to is when the suspension happened, there was a lot of, oh, he, you know, maturity, maturity. Which, there was a lot of shots being taken, being taken at him within that organization. There's a lot of shots being taken. I think they just want to sh- prove that he's healthy, and I think at the trade deadline, Fernando Tatis is going to be in another organization. There were rumbles late last year about San Diego people wondering if the Braves would have considered a straight-up Fernando Tatis for Ronald Acuna Jr. trade. No, they wouldn't have. And the Braves said no. Yeah, now the Braves said we'll take Tatis and keep Acuna, but we're not giving you Acuna. No, I mean, honestly, because the Braves were one of the teams that – even three years ago, before he really, really established himself at the major league level. The Braves were one of the teams that were talking to the Marlins when they were shopping Yelich. But the Marlins said, we're not, we're not even talking unless you're talking to Cunha. So right. Alex Anthopoulos hung up the phone. Right. I don't have anything to say to you. And at the end of the day, I still believe that they could have got a better package from Atlanta than Lewis Brinson and whatever they got from uh, from from Milwaukee. Uh, you but, have to look at the fact that but, the outgoing regime or, or the people 
it was basically those deals were basically made because the team people that were coming in and buying the team didn't want to pay those salaries. So they basically took whatever they could get. That's what Stanton went. That's why Ozuna went. That's why Yelich went. Now, the one thing I will say though is um they got they got some pieces back for Ozuna boy, because that's where they got Alcantara. Um, and that kid's that kid's a pitcher. Um, speaking of pitchers, long time pitcher, workhorse in the playoffs a decade or more ago, uh, was released today by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Madison Bumgarner let go. He mm-hmm. still owed. He still owed about seventy million dollars on this five year. $175 million contract that he signed. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you, at the time that he was becoming available, uh, around the 20, after the 2019 season, uh, he didn't have a bad last year. And I was like, well, maybe the Braves will look at it. I'm glad they didn't sign him now. This guy is uh, he's not looking very good. I don't know if some other teams may try to kick the tires on him and see what they have, but I think Madison Bumgarner may be bummed out uh, as far as what he now has to contribute at a major league level. It's been a good ride, but I, I think that uh, – I, I don't know that he's got anything left in that arm. He's a fifth starter now. And in Arizona, they were trying to use him as a top rotation guy. That's not who he is. See, no one else is going to – first of all, no one else is going to give him that contract. Let's, 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 be, let's remember that. He could have gone to some better teams. No one was giving him more than a two-year deal. Arizona was the only one that, that, that came up with the years and that money. You bring in Bumgarner and you're a contending team. You're bringing him in as a fifth, sixth starter, right, and the guy who can come out of the, and a guy who can rotate into the bullpen and give you two or three innings. That's what he is now. Yeah, if you do that, I can see it. I I don't know that even on a contending team as a fifth starter, because it's not fifth starters are not being used the way they used to be, right? So used to, if you did, if you had a day off in that week, um, especially if you had two days off, you didn't see you didn't see that fifth starter again until you had five games in a row. Like if if you had an off day between those four guys where you could push a guy back, um, it was not uncommon several years ago to not see that fifth starter until, say, the ninth or tenth game of the year, right? And then you may go another week, week and a half, two weeks before you see him again, unless you had one of those weeks where you had six, seven games in the same week, and so you had to bring him out. Um, But looking at it, now, this guy, he just gave up seven runs in his last outing. His ERA is north of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe somebody can tweak something, but I I think he's a fifth starter on an average on an average baseball team. Um, I think he's a six, fifth or sixth starter on a contending team, but he more likely is the first guy to the bullpen when, you, when your starter went too short and you need to cover, yeah. say, from the fourth to the sixth inning. Because if you you watch him pitch, his first couple innings, yeah, because his first couple innings are really good. 
first, second inning, he's okay. By the third to the fourth inning, he's getting hammered. He's getting hammered. He's a, he, he's a mop-up guy. He's a long-release guy. He's an emergency starter. Like you said, if your starter gets shelled, you're five, six runs down, and you need to try to eat a couple of innings to see if your uh, offense can get you back in the game, that's what he is now. Um, but see, that's you know, usable right. on a contending team because look at David Cohn, his last year with the Yankees, right? It was 2000. All he did was give them a big couple innings in that World Series against the Mets. So he did. Now, he really, he wasn't starting none of the games. They were never going to start him in the game, but he was on the active roster. And, and he came out there basically with nothing and got them through the heart of the order because he knows how to pitch. Madison Bumgarner knows how to pitch. So well, if you're catching a team and you have – go ahead. No, 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 you're right. I agree with you, and I was just going to say, at this point in his career, he's been around the game long enough. He's got three rings. He's been on a lot of teams. Uh, his value to young pitchers and to a clubhouse and to a team can even extend beyond what he does on the field. Right. So bring him in if I'm like the Yankees. Why not? Would you rather have him or Clark Schmidt who can't get past the fourth inning right now? You know, I look at it and I see, like, if Colin McHugh, could resurrect his career in the bullpen, and he's turned into a pretty good, valuable middle inning. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Uh, Bumgarner could do the same thing. If he can do that, I feel like Bumgarner probably could too. Because Colin McHugh was never going to make it as a regular starter. No, Uh, no. And and so maybe what you do if you become a middle innings guy where you're giving me one or two, three innings at the most, maybe you also cut down on the pitches. Right, so like, listen, you're not getting the same kind of break off this curveball. So let's just go fastball change and throw this little slider, or you know, let's cut one, let's cut one of these pitches out of your arsenal, and let's just stick with these two things that work. And you can be a two pitch pitcher. You cannot be a two pitch starting pitcher unless you are Jacob Degrom or Spencer Strider. And even, and even Spencer Strider is starting to start this... say it again. Even the Grom now is incorporating a changeup a hell of a lot more than he would with the Mets. And so is Strider. And you saw it a couple of times from DeGrom last year, but and Strider's starting to incorporate his because they know eventually they're gonna need it. But still predominantly two pitches. Right? And like now you're starting to show him another one and the more you, you play with it you might use it a little bit more. But not very many guys can be extremely successful with two pitches. But if you go to the bullpen, if you go to the bullpen, you can take a pitch out if it's not working as well for you. And and now you can go to two, maybe three pitches or a couple pitches as long as those two pitches either give them a similar look as far as your arm slot so they can't tell um, until last minute and or you know, they're going, one of them's, you know, pushing arm side, one of them's going, you know, the other side. So you're you're able to use both sides of the plate and up and down in the zone. If you can use, you know, those pitches have to keep them honest because if you got the same pitch going towards the same side of the plate every time, and so eventually they're going to tee off on it. 
Well, and the fact that he's never wanted to incorporate the cutter. Um, listen, as a left-hander, you have to throw inside the right-handers. Okay, you don't want to – but if, see, he doesn't want to throw. If he starts throwing a cutter, because what it is, you're going to throw it at that back foot. You go cutter inside, change up outside. You're coming out the same arm slot, and you're on the same plane. But he's never wanted to incorporate a cutter. He's ha- he has to be willing to change some things. He has to be willing to accept even Tom, he even Tom Glad did right in his career. Yeah. So this is going to come down to whether Bumgarner is willing to swallow his pride and make the adjustments necessary. That's it. So I look at uh, him being released today. Um, that that was a a story that kind of jumped out at me in, in, in the game today. And one other pitcher that I want to ask you about, he's only had one good start, uh, a guy that's really gotten off to a terrible start to the season so far this year, is a guy that looked like one of the most young, promising arms in the league. Uh, with his debut two years ago, what we saw out of him last year, and that's Alec Manoa from uh, the Blue Jays. Have you seen any of his outings at all? It's not looking good right oh. now. That's because he's a clown. <laughs> Listen, I have no love for Alec Manoa. None. Let me be clear. It's because he's a clown. And he's run his mouth. He runs his mouth and, and, and runs down other pitchers. And you haven't done anything. You haven't done anything. And this is, this is his comeuppance right now. Alec Manoa needs to lose 30 pounds. I'm not saying it's a fat shame. I think he needs to lose 30 pounds because one of his issues is stamina. Or, or redistribute his weight is a better way to put it. But they caught up to him. They caught up to him. You know what you're getting out of him. You know what he's going to do. And you also know that if you can get a couple of hits, get people on base, he gets rattled. Because when you find, when, when I have to talk that much and constantly tell you how good I am, I don't actually believe it. I don't actually believe it. And that's what we all take with Alec Manoa. And you contrast him, uh, we got to get out of here in the next five minutes or so, but you mm-hmm. contrast him with a guy who came up around the same time uh, little control issues early on, but same same McClanahan uh, in Tampa is really really settling in to being yep. a bona fide ace in this league. Mm-hmm. So we got about two minutes left. So, All right, anything else you want to throw out there before we shut it down? No, just um, <clears throat> a lot of fun tonight. Glad I was able to get on. Um, I didn't even realize it was Thursday, man. I was so out of it, and I got a notification. So I'm glad I was able to – we were able to get the show done. But a lot of fun doing this. Great talking baseball. Oh, and the Rangers beat the Devils again 5-1. to one, So I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, Chandler, man, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to do this with you, man. Uh, I'm glad you're at the hospital. Uh, you're doing well. Uh, I got uh, distracted with a bunch of things today. I didn't realize it was Thursday either. So uh, – Next week, we'll be back on time, uh, serving up some Spice Roundtable gumbo. Uh, don't forget Sports City Monday, Tuesday night, uh, mock draft type of stuff going on. Um, 
on this network on Monday and Tuesday. College Cookout on Wednesday nights. Uh, Chandler and I will be with you on Thursdays for the uh, Roundtable Gumbo. And then on uh, Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, the time of Sunday morning brunch. Uh, this past uh, Sunday he was gone, though, because he was uh, at Yankee Stadium uh, thinking his twins were going to be able to catch the series. But uh, the Yankees, thanks to the LSU boy, Mr. DJ LeMahieu, were able to – and and a nice outing from Garrett Cole – were able to salvage a split in that series and keep their string alive, live of not losing series. Uh, Tampa, be careful. Watch out for the watch out for these Yankees, man. If you constantly win series, you're gonna be there in the end. But um, listen, man, it's always a pleasure and a privilege. Uh, much love and respect to TP, the head honcho, to villain, to Sirius, and to you, Taryn, and my co-host, man. Always a pleasure to do this with you. I look forward to doing it again next week. Once again, glad you're healthy, my friend. As they say in Louisiana, laissez les bon temps rouler. Let the good times roll in this time, it says, man. Tell a friend to tell a friend. It's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Peace. We out of here. Sports city, sports city. Chefs, chefs. Sports city, sports city. Chefs, chefs. Sports city, sports city. Chefs, chefs. Sports city, sports city. Chefs, kaboom. Sports city, chefs is in the room. Cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune. Blown like a flower in June. Superman verse MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend it's the sports city chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Sports.